0: Just take a deep breath and realize that this is an opportunity for your community, but you want to do it right.
1: Welcome to another bonus episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast, North Carolina edition. We're producing episodes in this series for North Carolina Broadband Matters. And we now have a sponsor, Greenlight Community Broadband in Wilson, North Carolina. We're going to talk today about the opportunities moving forward with new federal money and some of the things to be wary of, how to be careful and, and make sure we get the most out of it. We're going to be doing that with members of the North Carolina Broadband Matters Board. So welcome to the show, some voices that have all been on here before. We'll start with Doug Dawson, the president of CCG Consulting. Welcome to the show. Hey, hi, Chris.
2: How you doing today?
1: Doing good. Glad to have you back. We also have Catherine Rice, the Project Director for the Coalition for Local Internet Choice and a consultant with Broadband Matters. Welcome back, Catherine.
0: Hey, Chris. So happy you're doing these.
1: Well, thank you, Catherine. You've certainly made it possible, and we appreciate that. Um, Our final guest is Gene Scott, the General Manager of Outside Plant for Greenlight Network in uh, Wilson, North Carolina. Welcome back. Thank you, Chris, for having me. Gene, I'm I'm thrilled to have you back. Uh, I really appreciate all the things that that you do, um, both helping the community and um, building technically sound networks. Uh, But also, I think Wilson might be the single most represented ISP that we've had on our program. So uh, always good to have someone from Wilson and the, the great work that you do. Let me start by I'm gonna I'm gonna poke Catherine, who was trying to to trying to have a a, a slightly lesser role than the rest of us wanted to have in this show. <laughs> um, Catherine, this show was your idea. Can you just lay out for us what we are what we're doing here this morning?
0: Sure, but actually it was the idea of, of Doug and Jean, so I'm just a good <laughs> listener. Um, okay, being... you
1: you you made the mistake of communicating it to me, and so I attributed it to you. <laughs>
0: Well, I never speak for Doug and Jean, but I'll tell you the essence of what we're gonna try to do, which is um, there's all this discussion about all this federal money that's going to come into our country and our towns and our counties um, for broadband. And I think the concern is, is that it's gonna be a tsunami and these localities are gonna be overwhelmed. And often like when a hurricane hits a town, all these roofers who have never been roofers show up. And so what Gene uh, and Doug were talking about and other consultants were talking about is how, how our community is going to be able to handle this. There, there's a handful of, of well-known consultants, um, but how, do you, how are you going to make it through um, this era in our country without um, really messing it up?
1: That's that's what I was looking for, because I wouldn't have thought of that perfect analogy of the roofers showing up after the hurricane. That's a very good example. And frankly, um, there is an art and a a science to roofing, um, but it is actually something you can pick up a bit faster than designing (laughs) a broadband network to be used by tens of thousands of potential endpoints. So let me come to to Gene. Um, what are, Gene, what are your immediate thoughts in terms of defining um, the opportunity here? And then I'm going to ask Doug about the problems we have to worry about. Well, what, is, what is the opportunity that we see right now?
3: Well, the opportunity, obviously, is, and I'm looking at this as a once in a lifetime, is the amount of federal support and state support in many cases. Uh, in terms of funding for broadband networks, I think the pandemic pointed out to us how important and vital these networks are just to be able to uh, literally carry on our normal lives during not only just pandemics, but uh, as we go into the future. So there's an opportunity there. It is um, one that I think that many people should be able to take advantage of. However, it's, going to, it's a little more difficult to um, design and put together one of these networks and may on paper at first and um, I'm sure Doug will be getting into some of the concerns and I'd like to add to those too but that's the opportunity we've got the opportunity before us and it's going to come pretty rapidly from what I understand in terms of funding but let's use this once in a lifetime opportunity to do the very best for our communities particularly our sister communities that are much smaller and in rural areas uh, that have been suffering for so long.
1: And Doug, let's lay out then what is the what is the concern that we're what are we already seeing and what are we hypothetically worried about?
2: And we and already seen is the right phrase to use. We are already seeing uh, because by now most towns and counties know that they have money coming. And they know that some of that money is directly going to be allowed to use for broadband. And there's another big pile of money that might be able to be used for broadband. So they're already having these discussions about trying to use this once-in-a-lifetime funding to get broadband in their community. And so the first thing they do is they run out and try to find consultants and engineers, and there's, there's simply not enough of those. The broadband industry for rural America is very well defined. You can count the, con- the good consultants on two hands. You can probably count the good engineers on three hands. And that's not enough people to satisfy a thousand communities suddenly looking for solutions. And so they're going to call up folks like me and, and I've talked to several. I talked to Joanne Hovis earlier this week and we're, and we're all going to be shutting down soon. We're just simply going to not be taking on new work. I took, I have five new clients I signed up last week. I can't do that very much longer. And so I will simply not be responding to requests for help and all the other consultants will be doing the same thing. But what will happen is these communities will still try to find somebody and so what they're going to find, and, and we've seen this happen before, every guy who retired from Southwestern Bell is going to call himself a consultant now and all of a sudden want to help people to do this stuff. Everyone who's been an IT director for a county who thinks he's smarter than everyone in the whole world is suddenly going to become an expert. and And, they're not, and they are both knowledgeable to some degree, but they don't know this stuff. They just don't know the right way to build a fiber network and the right way to make it pay for itself, which is the real value that consultants bring to this. You know, it doesn't do any good to build a fiber network if you can't pay for it. Even with grant money, it's not guaranteed that it'll break even. And so and then the third, then after, even after you make it through those two stages, you know, there's not very many construction companies around either. There's not that many construction companies that work in rural America. They are already fully busy 2020 was the busiest fiber year the united states has ever seen and part of that was not because of rural projects even though there's a lot of them going on right now you know verizon is building fiber past 25 million homes right now i mean they i have projects going on the west coast where they gobbled up every single construction crew for three-state area and so you know there's just not crews around and so what we're going to see here and again we've seen this before too is is the prices for labor is going to go up and nobody's going to be able to keep staff you're going to hire a crew and they're going to lose their workers cuz they're going to get lured away for higher pay people who try to do their own projects like jeans company who may have a few folks who are good at it those people are going to be offered 50,000 more dollars a year and they're going to leave and so we're just and we so there there's an estimate that we're somewhere between 7 and 800,000 technicians already short in this country we're going to try to use those shortage of people to do all this work and they just simply can't get it done after all that is is resolved for a city you can't buy fiber and stuff very well right now And by next year you won't be able to buy it all i already have clients who are ordering fiber a year early a year early. And, and some of this federal money is going to have a time clock on it. You have to spend it in two years. Well, if it takes you half a year to figure out what you're going to do, and then you've got to order the fiber, you may not be able to get it in time to build the project. So this, it's just going to be every single piece of the supply chain. And I count consultants, engineers, and, and construction companies as part of the supply chain, they're all going to be in massively short supply. And it's, it's a shame. And we knew this would happen. Uh, And it's going to get worse if the federal government does an infrastructure program and throws a hundred billion dollars at this. You may never get projects built under that scenario. Uh, It's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a disaster. It's not waiting to happen because it's already started. It's going on right now. So
1: Let me, let me actually ask Gene this, this follow-up question because North Carolina has a set of laws that already makes it more difficult. And I feel like a listener might be surprised that we're talking about cities potentially building networks with this money. I mean, if we were talking about Arkansas, which got rid of its limits on cities, or Kentucky, which didn't really have limits, it might make more sense. But for someone who's looking out, what, what can cities actually do in North Carolina, well,
3: here in North Carolina, you have to have to look at it. What Wilson did, and what the law now allows. Wilson is a basically provides our own services over our own network. The law here in North Carolina will allow basically an open access type of network, which means the municipality, the city, or a county government can build a network but they cannot offer services over it. They would have to partner with a private company, another ISP to provide the video and the data over it. So it's two different models. So yes, with the federal money that appears to be coming our way, the state of North Carolina and the cities and counties in it can take advantage of it, but it would be a different model than what we did here
1: in Wilson. And Doug, my understanding is is that it's also true that cities in Arkansas and Kentucky might do a public-private partnership. But I think even those public-private partnerships are still more constrained in North Carolina than we see in other places.
2: There's extra hoops to jump through here. So it's it, you have to go out through a bid process and make it all public. And But but it can be done here. And, and so there's cities doing it right now. And, but, and we're not the only state. There's a number of other states where it's harder. And that just makes it even worse. This Again, this money has a time limit on it. So the city has to not only deal with the supply chain issue, they have to deal with those legal issues. It's just going to make it. A, and the trouble is if they don't spend this money and this money has a time clock on and it, it'll simply expire and then it doesn't get used at all. And that would just be a disaster. But, but you, back to Gene's point on a public private partnership, those partnerships don't really get started until usually the city goes and quantifies the cost of the fiber network. Then you can talk to partners so they still have to go through those two early stages with the consultants and the engineers, and then they're ready to talk to a partner, and that's the part that they're going to have a very hard time doing. They're going to they're get on the internet, look for folks like us who are not going to respond back to them, and then what are they going to do? So,
1: Well, that's what we're that, going to we, talk about yeah. here. I that's mean, what that's, we're going to talk so... <laughs> about.
0: Yeah. I add just a short caveat, which is um, communities can build networks for their own use yes. without any limits
2: in North wow. Carolina, right? Right,
1: so some communities might want to build a beefy network-connecting institutional actors in, like uh, schools, libraries, uh, hospitals, things like that, and, and make sure it has plenty of capacity to lease. Uh, in part, also hopeful that the legislature will get out of the way and allow communities more freedom in how they use that. So um, this is actually, I think, leading into one of our recommendations.
2: The thought is that most of the federal money is going to be very focused towards last mile. And they may not think institutional networks are last mile. I mean, they could be allowed, but it seems like there's going to be a bias against institutional and a bias against middle mile.
1: I'm not necessarily hearing that uh, myself, but yeah, Yeah. so the rules aren't out yet and there's actually different pots. So, um, so some of the pots of money may have different rules than other pots. And so this is, this is definitely speculative
2: which we're going to know in a couple of weeks. Catherine's point was very important.
3: Yes, here in North Carolina, institutional networks, we can, and some cities are already doing that. There, But that is to connect their own fire stations, their own uh, uh, police departments, water treatment plants, internal use only. So thats that's been going on. But I do agree with Doug. I think the focus of this federal money in the grants is going to be providing uh, broadband to the uh, citizens in the community uh, because that's where the pandemic pointed out that's what is the the most needed.
1: Well, and I don't want to get lost in this point, but um, one of the things we're hearing is that one possible rule might be that it's only available for quote unquote unserved areas. Um, and so there's still a lot on the table as to how this could go and there's a lot of concern about how these rules will be written but I don't want to spend any any more time on that because we, we have certainty in other areas we have certainty in something we talked about in the pre-call and that is let me ask you Doug I'm a, I'm a person in a smaller town and I get a phone call from someone who says hey I'm really great at building networks I could get you some 5G I can get you some wired whatever you want I'll get it for you you just gotta you know, give me some of that that sweet fresh money from the federal government and Um, and we'll make sure that your town's hooked up no matter how good I sound no matter how good that caller sounds what do I say as a as an official in a local town
2: I hope you say no because the good consultants are not looking for work right now there's none none of us making phone calls to try to find work so anybody calling you is not a is not an existing current consultant. So the, this is the come out of the woodwork, guys. This is go back, this is Catherine's roofer guys who are now experts all of a sudden. Not to say that they're not experts, but what you want to do is immediately find out what other cities have they already helped in the in the recent past to do exactly what you want to do. And the chances are it's none. Now, now some of them may be that we, we, you may get a consultant who used to work for somebody like Greenlight or somebody, you know that. So there may be a few folks who actually might be pretty good, but you better check them out really close. I have a. I was talking to Joanne Humes again. She has a, a, a city client in, in Indiana who has gotten ten such calls already. Ten such calls, and and they followed them up, and they were all ten that sounded like scams to them. So there's all anytime there's big federal money, there's big scams. That's, that's always happened with every time there's federal spending.
1: So. Now, Gene, you seem like a nice guy, you know, I mean, you certainly have that facade to hide the inner demons that are, I'm sure there. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm from a small town in Eastern North Carolina and I call you up and I'm like, Hey, Hey Gene, could you just give me a few minutes? Like, tell me about like, have you ever heard of these guys? Are you going to slam the phone down in anger? No, no
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I only have worked with and know a very small percentage of, of the reputable firms in this country. So if you came up and you gave me a call, absolutely, I'd take it. And you said, Gene, have I, heard, have I ever worked with or heard of and you gave me a company name? And, I, and by chance, if I have, I will certainly give you the input. Yes, great firm. I've actually worked with them before, et cetera. Uh, but there's a probably a higher probability I'm gonna say, Chris, I'm sorry. Now, they may be perfectly fine, but I've never had any experience with them. And I'm going to be very careful because I do not want to accidentally endorse someone I do not know, particularly in something this important to the small communities that are, are, are have the potential to take advantage of this federal money. But no, I'm not going to slam the phone down. And I do anticipate uh, getting those types of calls. I'm sure Doug and some of the other uh, individuals will also the only problem is we're going to be slammed working too so maybe a little hard to get to us sometimes
1: but people should try to reach out to to companies to cities that have done this sort of a thing and ask them about it
3: absolutely in fact to your point and that's uh, something that I want our listeners to really think about do not hesitate to call the communities that have already done this and just ask because uh, I know our, our whole mode of operation is we've shared information. We've been through it. We do not mind telling you what worked, what didn't work. Don't try to go it alone. Uh, reach out to the other communities. They, they have a vested interest in everybody succeeding. So they would should be more than happy to tell you the truth and the positives of, and negatives of doing whatever it is you want to do.
0: I I just wanted to play devil's advocate for just a second um, because I know that part of the philosophy behind generating uh, all this uh, federal funding is also to stimulate the job market. So I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about solutions because I anticipate there may be qualified young people out there or qualified not so young people out there who say hey this is something I've been waiting for for a while and I'd like to help communities do this. So Um, We all know that there are some very, uh, there's some well-known companies in this space, but there may be some not so well-known. So can I ask uh, Doug and Jean uh, to talk about what are solutions for local communities that may have never had to build this and have lost out on the calls to Joanne and um, Jean and Doug, um, but really need to find somebody uh, to grab this lifetime opportunity?
2: Well, let me tackle that first. First off, I want to I want to amplify something that Jean said, which was "We help them not make mistakes that's probably actually the value that we bring you know i've helped over a thousand communities, and what I've seen is the five hundred major mistakes that communities make and and that's what i real that 's what I really get paid for is to not let you make those same mistakes. You know the, the the right things to do are not that hard to define, but the one bad mistake can destroy an entire project. So, you know that's a really that's a really important thing to talk about. So.
1: This is a story among like wedding photographers as to why they get paid so much, and uh, it's because they know how not to make mistakes. Right. <laughs> they, like, exactly. You, you don't want to have to recreate <laughs> that moment with all of your family, and so you need someone who uh, it might look to you like they're just pushing a button, but in reality they're actually not making 100 mistakes.
0: But what do you do if you if you can't, I mean, dog well, and, it, well, dance cards are going to be full. So what do you do as a local community? When well, you there's
2: a, it? there's a couple important steps. So first of all, you, tr- you still, tr- today, you still try to get a hold of us. So we are still taking some new clients and, and you go through the list of, of people who are, you're referred to, and you may get lucky and get a consultant or an engineer. You certainly probably have a chance to talk to Jean and other cities who have done this after that your best bet in my mind is to go ahead and talk to the ISPs that you're likely to partner with. And now, now they're going to be swamped as well. You know, a good ISP is going to have 10 opportunities around them geographically. All the communities around them are going to want them to come there and they, and they probably can't do that even with grant money. So, but at least they will come and talk to you almost certainly and, and of course they're already doing it. So these are not cities that are doing it. They're commercial ISPs, either co-ops or, or wireless companies or fiber builders. So they're already doing it today and they can tell you, they can immediately tell you again, what not to do. Uh, they can give you really good advice and they may also just jump right in with you and start the partnership going. I mean, that might get you straighter to a solution than any other path to go, but you just have to be warned that they are getting bombarded by phone calls as well. So everybody wants an existing ISP to be their partner. Uh, And, and, you know, one of our board members is a co-op, and they've been hounded by these questions for the last five years. Every county in North Carolina wants them to come and build fiber, you know. So, you know, but you can only take so many of those opportunities, right? So,
1: I think it is worth noting that even if this ISP has a good reputation, it could still be useful to call up some of the cities that they've worked with and say, Hey, you know, like what, what went right? Where were the points of friction? You know, like what would you do differently? Those are some of the questions you want to ask when you're checking out references, not because you're trying to find out if they're like a bad actor, but sometimes you are doing that. But in the case where you already have a good sense of them, you might be just trying to figure out how to iterate and do something a little bit more efficiently.
2: Well, and, and your point is well taken because what you're really saying is you have to do your homework. Mm-hmm. You've got to check, truly check the references. You know, every consultant's going to give you the name of two guys who will say that we walk on water. You need to find the other, <laughs> you need to find the five guys who don't say we walk on water. So, you know, because we're going to give you our two best friends as a, as a reference. So. It does explain
1: um, the sandals you wear, Doug, though. Um, so that's helpful. The Walking on the water bit. Gene, let's, let me ask, put the same question to you that, that Catherine had just asked. Well, and
3: actually, I want to pick up, too, where, where Doug left off. Just say, for example, that you, you can't get up with the, the uh, engineering consulting firms that are the most well-known. The ISPs are busy. One thing that a community, and this is just common sense, you need to slow down. You need to have a plan. What is it you want to do with your network first, okay? Uh, and the plan cannot be, I just want to serve all my citizens, provide broadband. That's a, that, that's a goal, that's a target, but that's not a plan. But you need to have a rough plan in mind because it will help guide the questions that you're going to want to ask. And yet, as Doug said a little earlier, some of these grants have some very tight timeframes. I think about Doug, a couple of years maybe They give you from start to finish.
1: I think, just to nail that down, I think most of the money has to be spent by the end of 2024 that we're talking about.
3: That gives you a little time, but not a lot, considering uh, the material um, backlog and things that Doug had already mentioned. But slow down, because it could be a case where today you will not be able to find one of those consulting or engineering firms to help you. But if you can get your name in a pot, they may be able to pick you up in six or eight months, depending on whatever else they've got going on. Materials, as Doug said uh, earlier, there's already a backlog. Some of the suppliers and manufacturers i talked to, they're 14 months out. So if you ordered it today, they're 14 months before they would ship. And that is today. And the money has not actually fully hit us. So I'm just saying you're going to have at least a 14 month or so uh, time frame before you could even get material anyway.
1: That sounds like a good time to develop a plan.
3: Good time to develop a plan. And the other thing that this is not a negative, but the citizens in your community are going to hear, Hey, you know, our, our, our municipality got a grant. This is wonderful. We're finally going to get, you know, really great broadband. And they're going to start calling the elected officials city officials going, when are you guys going to start? You think I'll have it by Christmas? You know, Can I go out and, go and buy the computer for my child today? And I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but these are questions that I've actually gotten before. And you're going to have to temper that and not let that be the driver to push you into going forward quicker than you can put together a plan and find skilled, qualified people to help you with. I am hoping, and this is just purely an editorial comment on my part, but I am hoping the government will extend some of this time frame beyond 2024 when we get into it to help, because it's one thing to throw a lot of money out here for what I've considered a once in a lifetime opportunity, but let's just don't throw money at it and build something that's only 70% of what we really want Uh, Let's do it correctly because we will be living with these networks for decades to come.
2: Well, I have another follow up on what Gene just said because there is another really different approach, and that's for small communities in a region to join together. Mm -hmm. Because where where a town of a thousand people is not going to get my attention, seven towns of a thousand people each is going to make it onto my list, and so. You know, because you're helping a lot more people and they can and they can also together afford you a lot better. And so we're already seeing that. I'm working a bunch in New England right now. And in New England, the typical project has nine or more towns in it. They just decided to go as groups. And that that's a really smart approach because that's one engineering look. That's one consulting look. They each get their look and they don't all have to take the same solution. But they all get the work done, you know. So that, you know, so joining together regionally, you know, that's one of the ways to pause is to talk to all your neighbors, as Gene said, suggested right now, and see if you can't find a way to pull all of your money together to build an even better project. That's also going to be more attractive to an ISP. ISPs do not really want to go out and negotiate with towns of 800 people, but they would sure love to go out and negotiate with six towns of 800 people who are pretty close to each other so it just makes you attractive for all the other players in the industry is to talk to your neighbors and and why would you not want to go get a solution for the region anyhow that's that's good for everybody so
0: here's the another piece of that because some of this is being kind of defined by the kind of money that you receive like i think on the american rescue act funds you may have more flexibility in how you use the funds versus some of the um, the infrastructure uh, planning funds that are that are being talked about. So maybe one idea is if you can't bring all your communities together and you have the opportunity to access um, some of the American Rescue Act funds, go on a smaller scale that you can manage. Um, maybe it's just getting fiber to your core anchor institutions right now. And, Sure, it's the, a chance of a lifetime, but you can only do so much um, with limited staff. So um, that's another idea, is is maybe don't bite off more than you can chew.
2: Well, and there's a really important follow-up to that. As good as these grants are, I doubt that many of these grants are gonna 100% pay to build every single house in a town with fiber. There may be places where they'll be that good, for The numbers I'm hearing are a good down payment towards doing that, so which also means you know if you just want to use that grant money and nothing else, then talk about building a quarter of your town or something. but you have to be realistic with what you can do with that money because for a community in North Carolina to take this money and to also cross the legal hurdles to try to do the whole town, that might be hard to do in the time frame but but don't let this money go to waste, build fiber get, oh. it, get some fiber in the ground,
1: yeah more conduit. Yeah,
3: very, very good points. If you can get your institutional networks up and then build a backbone while you're at it with the grant money, then the distribution networks that would follow it, that would actually serve your citizens, are going to actually be uh, at least set up uh, once you can find funding for it.
1: Now, let's go back to the beginning and reiterate some of the the key points here. One is um, if someone calls you with a really great plan, probably don't want to listen to them. You almost certainly don't want to listen to them. No matter who you're going to work with, you're going to want to check them out. You're going to check them out with folks who have been there before. Um, you know, at the very least you can reach out to someone like me that pretends to know what I'm talking about, but certainly reach out to local communities that have already done this sort of a thing or even friendly ISPs. Uh, you know, I I don't know that Alan is the kind of person to turn down a community that needs five minutes of advice. Um, from Alan, from open broadband, for those of you not in the know, um,
2: I will tell you, everybody on NC Broadband Matters Board is going to talk to you. So yeah. that's why we're here. This is why we're here. So. Yeah.
0: Alan exactly. Fitzpatrick.
1: Yes. So, right. Anyone on the NC Broadband Matters Board um, show up at their house, ideally during daylight hours. <laughs> right <Bring gear. laughs> here. Um, so then um, you need to develop a plan. Um, and and don't rush into it. You want to develop a plan that's really going to address the issues that you have. Um, I, I think it was Gene who said you don't have a broadband problem. That's not a, 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 Getting broadband to everyone is not a plan. That's a goal. And, um, and so you need to develop a plan and you may separate out sort of a goal of connecting low-income folks versus bringing competition to some parts of town where people already have access but they're frustrated with it. You might have a goal of focusing on local businesses. You might have a goal of focusing on some else um, but make sure you're 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 fine-grained in those goals then you find someone that's going to work with you. And um, this is something I would do, even if you're working with Doug or Joanne or anyone, I would run a sanity check. um, Once you develop that plan, by someone else that's been there, Um, you know, especially another city that's built something and say, this is what our our work with our consultant has brought back. Does this seem like a good idea? Are we missing anything? And that sort of thing. So there's like another sanity check there. We we didn't talk about that. I'm just throwing that in because I wanted to. Let me give a chance. Gene, you have a funny look on your face. How do you react to that? <laughs>
3: no I, I think a sanity check is is absolutely necessary um and don't mind the funny look that's just it's just permanent for some reason <laughs> but, uh, the um if our listeners don't take anything else away from this podcast it's number one take your time and number two reach out to other communities that have done this or ISPs as, as Doug mentioned that have done this and don't be bashful about asking for opinions and, and you know what did you experience? How did you do it? These communities are not going to be able to to be um, consultants for you uh, but they can share their experiences. Yeah you know, we're all gonna be busy but it doesn't it doesn't hurt to ask. And as Doug pointed out the members of on our board that's one of our purposes is to help each other in the communities here in the state of North Carolina.
2: Just so you know, Chris, I'm hired to do second opinions all the time. That's not, that's a, now the, the trouble with this money is there that might just be another time crunch thing. Cause now you got to find a second consultant after you struggled to find <laughs> the first one, but you could still get a second opinion from Gene or somebody like, what do you think about this thing? So, uh, so I, that, yeah, that's, that's always good advice before you spend large money. I mean that's always good advice.
1: I, I just I, anytime anyone says second opinion, my, my first thought is immediately, you're ugly too.
0: <laughs> 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 Old joke. So I want to play devil's advocate yet again because um Chris you were saying if 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 folks are cold calling you, don't take the call. Um and I just think about when I first started uh my consulting business or in other consulting businesses and you're forced to do calls like that to try to, to get a client. So um, is there any avenue beside don't take the call should you take it, but you know, don't waste a lot of time on it or something like that so you don't, you know, so you don't close off all opportunities for new businesses.
2: There's a difference between taking a call and and taking a call where the guy says I absolutely have the solution for you who doesn't even know your community yet right now, of course we've all made calls in the past but the, my point was this year people aren't making nearly as many calls because they're kind of busy, but um, but, but anyone who calls up and goes, I hear you're getting federal money. If that's their first sentence, then you hang up. on <laughs> <laughs> and, and if they go, and I have the perfect solution for you, literally, Joanne said, half of the calls for this community said, and I have the perfect solution for you. They know nothing about this community. These, these are not good consultants.
3: I would take the call. I would cut, cut them off if they started into, I hear you got federal money. Yes, I'd cut them off, and I'd just say, look, tell you what, here's my email address, you send me your portfolio, what, what cities, communities have you helped, what's your background, basically, uh, just like you were interviewing them for a job. And I said, you send me that information, and I'll review it later. And it'd be a very short phone call. But if they're sincere, they are more than likely will send you that information. If, they're, if they are not, or if they don't really have any references to give you, you may not hear from them again.
1: Mental note, for nascent consulting business to myself and my staff stop saying we have the perfect solution use other verbiage <laughs>
0: <laughs> so can you guys talk about the use of rfps that may help address some of these filtering issues
2: rfps are the normal way the communities purchase and a lot of cases they have to use an rfp and that's really you know i mean so it's some it's a really an it's a local purchasing issue now luckily if communities really dig deep, they may find out when they need to hire experts that they may not actually need the RFP. We're often, we often find out to hire engineers and consultants that you could do it without the RFP. The problem with an RFP right now is that adds three or four months to the beginning of the process, and you may not get any good res- – if we're all busy, we may not respond to those RFPs. The trouble is once a city starts an RFP, they're not supposed to be lobbied or talk to any of these folks. So there's sort of this three four month quiet period where they, they can't call me up and ask me advice if they've already asked me to submit an RFP. And so they kind of hurt themselves by doing that. For the two to three year money, the stuff that's due by 2024, I would try really hard not to do an RFP.
1: Yeah, I mean, Doug, how many RFPs do you plan on responding to in the next few months?
2: Uh, It's going to only be a handful,
1: right? I mean, mean, uh,
2: my, 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 my pipe is already filled through early winter, so I'm not going to respond to very many. I will respond to, I will respond to RFPs right now that are due after the first of next year.
1: Well, my thought is that people have to have in mind Responding to RFPs is already something that annoys consultants to some extent because you don't know if they've already kind of pre-selected who they want to work with. You're putting hours in to respond. Um, If you have a bunch of people that are saying, I really want you to work with us, and those are certain... Um you know and i 'm like doug, I suspect that you, like many others who have a good reputation aren 't just going to work with anyone, but nonetheless let 's say you have a you have a pipeline full of people who are saying we have a good project we 're a legitimate like we 've been doing our homework, we want to work with you those are are your hundred percents. Why are you going to spend a lot of time going for your thirty percent or your fifty percents on RFPs? don 't write
2: an r f p that has seventy five questions I have to answer because i 'm not going to respond to it. They, you know, if you want the whole answer to the study and the proposal, you're not going to get it from me. I'm simply not going to waste one minute of time on an RFP like that. People ask just an amazing long list of requirements. What do you need? In, uh, and this year, there's three things you need in a feasibility study, and that's it. You need an engineering estimate of the cost of the network. You need some market research to find out if the folks in your community actually want broadband, which you probably know, but you still should do that because the ISP wants to know that and you should do some sort of little financial plan to prove that it pays for itself. Everything else is extra. You may want some of those other things like in North Carolina, I still may want someone to talk to me about the legal issues, but but you don't need 75 other things. And you certainly, if you ask for all those, you know, good consultants are just going to throw it away this year. In the past, I even in the past, I usually didn't respond to those. It's just like, you know this this community is going to be too big of a pain to work with. I don't really need that hassle. So we are we are now selecting clients. It's not the other way around. They they have to understand that, and it's it, it sounds egotistical, but that's the reality of the marketplace. So,
3: go ahead, Gene. Well, I was just going to
2: just going to ask
3: Doug to throw out for our listeners uh, if they did want to do a an RFP, and and as you said, you don't want to. They don't want to issue one that has 75 questions because most of your consultants or engineers are not going to have time to respond. What would be a a few basic questions um, and maybe 10 10 questions total maybe? And what would would you, if you were issuing RFP, what would the questions be that you'd want to
2: know? Actually, I have a generic RFP that if someone asks me, I go, here's what you should ask. Yeah, the and, very okay. questions. That, if they call me up and ask that, I'll email to them, and now they got their shell.
3: Exactly. So I thought that would be helpful to our listeners if they if yeah. they knew that.
2: In fact, we can post that on our NC Broadband Matters website. Good question, okay. Gene. So yes. I actually now have to clean it up a bit, but I'll do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. but no, I think
3: that would be helpful because many communities are not going to know what questions to ask. and And I can see the 7,500 question because they're going to try to cover every base. And then you're gonna get some folks that simply won't know which questions to ask. So they're going to uh, say, uh, I want broadband, what do I do? We will post one of
2: those on our website. That's a great idea.
0: So as a follow-up question, Doug, um, from the angle of you being in the driver's seat, what kind of community would you be attracted to? What, what, how could a community attract you as a, as a, a, high, a qualified consultant?
2: I just need to have a feeling that they care. I mean, quite honestly, um, today's my 67th birthday, by the way. So I, you know, I'm no longer the youngest consultant in industry and I really want to tackle projects where I think that there's going to be a good conclusion at the end. So there are, there are people, there are people who hire me who just want to think about it and you can tell they're not serious and I'm not going to be taking those jobs right now. I don't think so. I want communities who are really looking for a solution who a week after I deliver the product to them, we're talking about grant filings. I mean, that's who I'm really wanting to help, and that's usually pretty clear when they ask for help. Uh, so you know, so there, there's the dabblers and there's the serious communities, and so I'm, right now I'm looking for the serious communities. Now in the past, I worked for plenty of dabblers because I just charge them, you know, and that's that's good money, but. But I really want to help solutions right now, so
1: yeah, I want to just point out Doug was just the guest on the broadband bunch podcast it was a It was a good conversation um, and you know I get the sense whether you're trying to work with uh, with Doug or one of the other consultants that has a good reputation in this space. You you don't need that consultant to start your community engagement process. Like This is the time where we're talking about like slow down a little bit. If you're not able to get on the dance card of a, of a consultant you want, make sure that as soon as that consultant's ready, you have all your ducks lined up, that you have multiple people in the community that are enthusiastic. You have kind of like a community broadband team. There's a whole approach to this in, in North Carolina, thanks to the Institute for Emerging uh, Issues and, uh, and some of the rural electric co-ops in the state all pulling together with the uh, band NC project that we've talked about before. Um, Like sometimes you have this issue where you're you're stuck on this thing and like, Oh, I need a consultant. I need a consultant. And then you find out we can't get a consultant for six months. Well, you got to ask yourself if we got a consultant today, what would we do tomorrow? And then you do that thing anyway, and you get rolling with it because you can do a lot of this work, you know, um, in terms of community engagement to make sure people are enthusiastic about it. People know what broadband is and how DSL cannot solve the problem, and they already know some of that stuff. Um, that can be really useful.
2: Yeah, really simple stuff. Get everybody in town to take a speed test and accumulate them. You know, that, I mean, if you, if you walk into me with that in your hand, I know everything about your town. That would be just an awesome thing.
1: So, then you can yeah. develop the perfect solution. Well, <laughs> only you can do that, Chris. <laughs> do we have any any closing comments? Uh, let me start with you, Catherine.
0: Uh, to underscore uh, Gene's comment, which is it's really easy to get anxious now about this stuff. Um, those who, communities who've been starved for a long time and, and hearing about all these funds and practically been being handed them in an envelope – slow down, just take a deep breath and realize that this is an opportunity for your community, but you want to do it right. And it's a great thing to just bring people together and start talking about how do we develop a plan? You'd be surprised how many communities just don't have a plan, even if the plan is just, well, we're going to serve those 50 houses right there. That's my advice.
3: Jean? Well, of course, I agree with with Catherine, and I wanted to add, there is no cookie-cutter design for these networks. Uh, What might work perfectly for my community may not be the ideal uh, choice for yours, Chris, or or where Doug lives. So uh, if someone comes up and says, we've done this particular design 1,000 different times, I'd be a little suspicious too. I want them to know my community so that they can tailor it to the plan I've got in mind and serve my community, which is totally different than the community that may be in the Midwest or on the West Coast. You want the people who are advising you to be able to really know your community, know what you
1: need and
2: help guide you as to what is the best fit for you.
1: I like that. Doug?
2: First off, I just want to reiterate that point three more times because that's actually <laughs> the most important point on the whole call. No two communities are alike. Well, I've I've worked for communities that are 10 mile apart and that needed a different solution and, You know because there's just local construction conditions and, and local demand differences that mean one solution won't work in both places. So that is incredibly important. And that's what you want to figure out. You want to figure out what works for you. I, I think I just go back to Gene's point as well as Catherine did is be patient get your group together do as much research on your own as you can talk to as many people as you can you will find help if if you if you if you tackle this right you may not get a consultant hired this june but you will get a consultant hired in january so i mean take your time and and do it right and and figure out a solution so that's right absolutely
1: Excellent. Thank you all. Thank you to uh, North Carolina Broadband Matters, NC Broadband Matters. Uh, thank you to Greenlight for sponsoring this episode. And thank you all for listening and for helping us to solve this problem. You know, uh, you know, the kids and the grandkids of the kids today are going to be reading about this time, and they're not going to know about all these years we spent agonizing over it. They're going to read about how the internet got started in the 90s for a lot of people and how it didn't really get to everyone until the mid to late 20s. and. And uh, this pain that we're all going through being glossed over, but it's still important that we all we all do what we can to get through it. So uh, we are going to get there, and um, and it's because of people that are listening to this show and doing the hard work. So thank you very much.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you.